Hello, and welcome to the Outlier Podcast, the podcast for everyone who's interested in building better homes. My name is Sandra, and I am hosting this podcast with Anthony, the founder and lead designer at Outlier Studio, who is passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. Together, we sit down once a month to chat with industry experts and to answer your questions about high-performance homes. We want to educate Australians about the possibilities of energy-efficient design and to change the way we build houses today. We hope you join us on that journey. Get ready for a massive deep talk into the ins and outs of how the people behind the scenes calculate the performance of your home. We sat down with Emilia Iacovino from Detail Green, who is not only a thermal assessor, but also a PHPP pro and an engineer with a passion for sustainability. We spoke about the differences in assessing a house under the National Energy Rating Scheme and using the Passive House Planning Package, as well as her insights on how these systems can and should be improved. And spoiler alert, she is also currently getting her accreditation to become a Passive House Certifier, so I'm sure this is not the last you will have heard from her on our podcast. All right, so to be completely transparent, we have recorded an episode with our guest today before, but we figured we were um, losing out on the opportunity to have a real expert of this topic on and really drill her about the details of this and have this unique knowledge. Uh, so thank you so much, Amelia, again, to um, yeah, be on our podcast. First time for our listeners, second time for us, but very enjoyable to talk to you again. Um, we wanted to um, take this opportunity and talk a little bit about um, about the process of identifying the performance of a home because you have the unique skill set that you are both a thermal assessor um, and a, a, a certified passive house designer as well. And we want to get into today what the difference is, what that means and why that is important to homeowners. Um, so yeah, could you maybe explain to our listeners um, quickly what it is exactly you do? I've kind of taken it away now, um, but in simple terms or with more, um, yeah, you, you, I mean, you know better what you do for a living than me. Um, what is it that you do? <laughs> so I, I'm an energy efficiency consultant, really, is the best description that is all-encompassing of everything I do. Um, so I as well as what you mentioned, doing the NATHERS assessments for new builds and extensions, renovations and passive house design. I also do energy auditing for existing buildings, um, which is, uh, to me, just important to how to retrofit step-by-step for existing houses that aren't going undergoing or existing commercial facilities that aren't going under a full retrofit. Yeah, what does that exactly mean? So the energy audit and retrofit for people who don't know what these terms are. Okay, so the energy auditing is where you review the electricity and gas usage of a site, uh, and you you work out where the main source of energy usage is, and how you can reduce that usage, how much it's going to cost to do that, and the payback periods for them. Um, a lot of grants to put in solar on buildings or to upgrade mm-hmm. heating and cooling require an energy audit to be done first to gain access to funds. Yeah. So and then some. So some of it is for that. Others is a part of a lot of businesses do it as a general way to look at cost cutting. Um, yeah. So particularly for industrial and commercial 
you know, that's it's a big portion of their costs. Yeah. And how did you get into that area? What's your um, kind of professional background? Yeah, so I originally studied electrical engineering and I actually majored in high voltage power and control theory. Um, and then <laughs> I went to, so I applied for a whole lot of manufacturing facilities yeah. because I just really liked the concept of taking something and turning it into something else. Um, and robotics was what I was really interested in. So I ended up um, on the Ford Motor Company graduate program and that was fantastic. So I actually ended up not working initially in manufacturing. I did uh, ended up in the design sector and working on low voltage and electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great. And I did do some work in manufacturing as well, but not robotics, more on the actual assembly process. So more about process controls rather than uh, actual control theory. But uh, yeah, so that was fantastic. So I was with Ford for 10 years um, and I was doing a house renovation and was very disillusioned with the information available on the energy of things so and yep. electricity usage etc so I um, a friend was doing a master's of energy efficiency and renewable energy at the time that and she said you love this course you've got to do it and I had a look into it and I thought this sounds fantastic so I did the course and then I moved into um, some policy work and then into energy efficiency work so that's how I got there. Um, and for me, I feel that, you know, energy efficiency is almost more important, probably more important than renewable energy because mm-hmm. the less you use, the easier it is to generate how much you need. Yeah. So, And there's obviously a whole lot of embedded carbon in renewable energy and in battery storage. So the less we need of it, the less resources we use to create it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I definitely feel that's where my passion is and so yeah. that's why I kept why I worked in that field and continued in that field. So I originally started working with Luke doing energy auditing. Luke is your boss? Yes, sorry, Luke Plowman. So yep, of Detail Green. Yeah. So uh yep. And uh Luke's the one who said, Would you like to get into doing thermal building thermal assessments? And I said, okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, because it's another energy efficiency area that I haven't been involved in. So yeah, um, he ran, he ran in open doors. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh, I would say my career path has not been a particularly planned one, and uh, definitely lots more sideways than upwards. <laughs> <laughs> but lots of different experience and lots of people and I've just yeah. I love what I do. So I I have done some talks at schools to encourage kids to do engineering and um oh, I just awesome. find yeah, I think engineering is such a flexible uh career path and particularly these days there's a lot more also flexibility in the actual roles that make it yeah. a lot more e- easier for women and and families, both partners, anyone who's got kids, yeah. uh, it's changed quite a bit. And it's also globally recognised. So I've had the opportunity of working in Japan while I was with Ford. And, oh, cool. you know, unlike some other professions where you have to retrain, it's it's fairly easy. If you have an, a degree from Australia, you can work as an engineer in pretty much anywhere in the world. Yeah. So uh, that's a fantastic opportunity too. 
yeah. and so many different sectors employ engineers. It's you can move across yeah. like I've done from one sector to another. The skills are transport yeah. transportable, yeah. which is very important too. Because when you, we have had the situation in Australia where the manufacturing industry and the automotive industry unfortunately have both had a decline um, that, you know, you need to move something. You need a, a job that yeah. is flexible that enables yeah. you to be able to move industries. Absolutely. Is this a public service announcement to, uh, to call upon engineers yes, in the industry to come across? Definitely. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's a hard degree. Uh, but the I, I found I didn't find it easy for studying, um, but I found the work experience was what kept me going because I loved yeah. the work and I thought if I need that piece of paper yeah. to do this work, I'm going to keep going. So Yeah. It's it's funny. Yeah. So my, my partner, who's also named Luke, but it's a different Luke, um, and he's also an engineer, he keeps um, referring to what you described as um, not maybe having a, a planned career. He just says, um, I'm following my interests. And that's what gets me to where I want to go. I just follow what I'm interested in and where my passion is. And yeah, that, it sounds like you've done definitely that. So you've talked about um, that you uh, became a thermal assessor. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what a thermal assessment is um, and how the process works to get an energy rating uh, under the NetHurst scheme and what the NetHurst scheme is maybe as well? So the NetHurst scheme, the, the uh, National Energy Rating System, and that's what is commonly also referred to as the STAR rating system. So lots of people would have heard of six-star houses, which is the regulatory minimum which has been the regulatory minimum for over 10 years now. Mm. Um, and if we think about how much technology has changed over the past 10 years, it's, to me, a shame that we're still sitting where we were 10 years ago. But um, anyway, so the six stars is the minimum that you need. And how we do the rating is we um, you, you get the drawings from the architect you need to be supplied. You actually need both the architectural and the structural drawing sets because you need to actually check how the structure's been constructed in terms of how you assess the insulation for the floor. So anyway, that's going to be do it. What you what we do is we there's some really some really clever tools out there to do the assessment. Um, but they're quite manually intensive still so I we have to import the floor plans in then you have to mm -hmm. draw every room and you have to draw every window and draw every internal draw, door you have to you have to allocate every type of wall type if you have different differing wall type heights in uh, floor to ceiling heights in different rooms you have to add the extra walls in um, you can only add one window in a wall. So if you have extra walls, you have to go into another tab and add the mm. wall windows in there. It's it's quite time consuming yeah. to draw this all up. Um, there are unfortunately at present no tools that automatically drag into CAD models into the system. And it's not a 3D model. It's just a flat model. So you're also having to envisage how this looks in 3D on a flat model. So mm -hmm. that's one of its shortcomings is the labour intensity needed to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so then 
once you've allocated all the walls and window types, etc., then it runs the system, the software then calculates how much energy is required to heat and cool every room individually. Mm-hmm. So there is some accounting for airflow, natural airflow between rooms. Um, there are some odd, in my opinion, things such as bathrooms, if they come off a hallway, are not condition, considered to be a conditioned space even if you have heating in that room. So if you what, have... What is a condition space? Uh, a condition space, sorry, is a space that is heated and cooled. Yeah. So like and a living area. Yeah, living areas, yeah. bedrooms, etc. Yeah. So um, it has... It's very specific in the usage of each room. So you can't just mm. draw the rooms and say, these are all living rooms, you know, and these are all bedrooms. There's different types of rooms. There's There is a living space there is also just daytime spaces and then bedrooms are considered only nighttime spaces and so the amount of energy that's considered to be used to heat and cool the rooms differs on how you allocate the room okay yeah so if the room has a built-in robe it can be considered as a bedroom even if it's going to be used as a study Mm. so so this is, this is the thing. A lot of houses are built as a three-bedroom or four-bedroom house, but mm-hmm. some of the room bedrooms are used as studies. And particularly yeah. just recently, you know, since COVID, since the pandemic, more and more bedrooms are used as studies. So they've been heated mm-hmm. and cooled all day. Yeah. So there's a bit of a – it doesn't really consider – the flexible use of a building, of a, of a room. It considers that the room has a specified use and that that usage will never change over the life of the building. So and that's one thing that I, I feel is unrealistic, um, particularly now. It was probably always unrealistic, but even more so now. And the, yeah. the other one is having bathrooms not heated or cooled because even if you're building two six stars and still achieving six stars, you're likely in the colder climates in Australia, definitely going to have some heating source in the bathrooms. Yeah. Also, when we're talking about the heating and the cooling, it doesn't actually consider what type of heating and cooling you're using. So mm. if you're using a the most inefficient gas ducted system on the market or you're using the most efficient reverse cycle system on the market, it doesn't make a difference to the rating. So it's not a whole of home. It's only the actual thermal envelope. There's no appliances considered. And the same with the the hot water system. You're using the most inefficient gas storage system or Mm -hmm. the most efficient electric heat pump system. There is, again, no difference in your rating. So when people get their electricity bills, they'll move into this brand new six-star house and they'll say, fantastic, I'm hardly going to use any energy. But if they've got a gas-ducted system, they're still going to have really high gas bills. Yeah. And that is something that will probably shock people and they might not be able to afford that. And I think that's the real issue with NatHERS as it stands and that's one of the planned changes is to make it into a, a whole of home and that's been something oh, they've been okay. trying to do for a while and initially the thought was we're not going to include appliances because they get changed regularly but heating and cooling mm. and hot water services can last 20 years and you know that 
might be as long as people live in the house before they sell it. So to me, that is really important. And heating and cooling is like 40% of a home energy use. So what system you use can influence your cost. So what there is is there's that making the shell of the house as efficient as possible, but then using the most efficient appliances as well. That's how you get true energy efficiency. Yeah. It's not one or the other. It's the combination, the entire system. So, yeah. um, Sustainability of Victoria have just released an online tool. So for anyone interested, you can um, track it down on their website, on Sustainability Victoria's website, and allows you to import um, all of the appliances that are sort of in your home and get a more of a realistic uh understanding of what those costs might be um i think in that recent abc article that was published just last week was it up to 85 percent of australians have are experiencing bill shock or um a term amelia that you've also mentioned you know that that kind of translates to me as energy poverty absolutely um so it's it's serious it's not just a you know a thing that's um happening to a few that's 85 percent of this country so um, is the is the approximate um, estimation absolutely, and if you're looking at you know fuel poverty, we have we have a big issue in Australia in the cost of living with everything and and fuel poverty both for vehicles and cars yeah is the biggest issue I think we're coming up to and you can actually also look on the CSIRO website you can actually go and have a look at where all the NATHERS ratings are so you can actually go by suburbs and see, you know, what percentage in one suburb are rated six star, seven star, eight star or five, four star as well because you can get an exemption from a six star if you're doing a a renovation or extension. The um, Sustainability Australia um, website link as well as the CSIRO that you just mentioned, we'll put those into the show notes on our website um, so people can can find those there um, and, yeah, make, make use of these resources. Yeah, because it's very interesting to see if you look by suburbs, the wealthier suburbs have a higher proportion of houses that are built at seven or eight stars Mm. than the poorer suburbs. So you're ending up in a situation with the people who can least afford more higher energy bills are the people who are likely to be having higher energy bills. Energy poverty right there. Exactly, right there. And the, the other main change that is... On the, on, on the cards is going from six to seven stars and there's a huge benefit to going from six to seven stars in terms of the reduced annual costs and there has been some reports out there um, that are saying it's around $450 a year. I believe if, if you had air tightness, you, you could even get that, that number would be an even greater saving. But the yeah. thing that I've seen in all the assessments I've done. So we have not, some of our assessments are just pure six stars. People just want to know what they need to do to do six stars. But the majority of assessments we actually do is how do I take this from a six star house to a seven star house? Because Mm -hmm. most there are a lot of people who are interested in having a more energy efficient house, particularly again after COVID, after being locked down particularly Victorians, after having yeah. spent so much time in lockdown in our houses and we've realised how freezing cold they are and how horribly hot they are, um, we definitely have, that's the majority of the work yeah. we do now. And what we've really found is that the fundamental difference between a six-star and a seven-star house is the orientation of the house. 
Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, you know, you can do a lot on the thermal side in terms of how much more money do you want to spend? If you want to mm. reduce the amount of money to go from a six to seven star house, then you focus on the orientation in the design stage. Yeah. And that adds minimal amount of cost. It's a minimal amount of cost. I mean, today with all the CAD tools that are available, it's so easy to change the angle of a house to mm. make it suit better. And, you know, this whole fixation of having to have the house follow the line of the property. You know, you've got a yeah. rectangular property and you build a rectangular house and it's exactly in the property. You know, yeah. it's parallel, everything parallel. And you're like, that, that we need to get out of that. We need to get out of yeah. the fact that if that site doesn't point north, don't point the house that same way as the site. Angle yeah. the house. You know, you, you can do that and, you you know, and it's yeah. it's not that it's a lot less costly than when you're trying to build a seven-star house that's been poorly orientated because then you mm. do need to put a lot more insulation in and you do need high-performance windows. And this is what, you know, the people who have been arguing against seven-stars have been saying, well, there's all this incremental cost in the construction site. And that is only the case if you don't spend the time up front in the design stage. Yeah. And there, yes, you can say there are always site limitations, but there's site limitations that put cost into the construction as well. That doesn't stop people building on those sites. Yeah. So, and a lot of the new housing estates, particularly in Victoria, are on flat, flat land. There's nothing to do. There's nothing that's going to be a construction issue. It's just spending that time yeah. rotating those plans. And to me, that's the most frustrating thing because. I can do that. Like I can see how easy it is if I get a yeah. plan in and I'm like, why Why is that bedroom facing north and the kitchen's, the lounge room's facing south? Like there's yeah. no, there's no constraint. There's so many times where there's no constraint on the property yet the orientation is totally wrong. Yeah. And understandably, yep. if there's a view, you want one window to have that view. But if the view is all to the south and you face everything to the south, then yes, you're going to have a really cold home unless you spend a lot of money on good windows and good insulation. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're coming off the back foot already. Like <laughs> exactly. It's, um, that's right. It's an uphill battle. Right. And I think that's exactly why we're talking about this, right? Because there are people who probably don't understand the importance of orientating the home to the north. You've mentioned um, moving to seven stars. So just to make it clear for the listeners, um, there is a planned increase in the National Construction Code to go from six to seven stars. I think it's by the end of September this year, 2022. Um, so we have that coming Correct. up. That's that something good to report. But just something yes. I wanted to make clear because I think or I've realized in a lot of conversations, people are not actually aware of this. You do put in um, certain performance factors and, and you do assess the the house with the NetHer software for your thermal assessment, but there is no actual in-person um, assessment that makes sure that the six stars that you've given that particular plan is actually achieved in, in the building. Is that right? Because that's still blowing my mind to this day. That is correct. So at no stage during construction are there any mandatory checks that the correct insulation has been put in, the correct window specification has been put in. All that information is contained in the NATAS report. 
So my recommendation to homeowners is to ask for a copy of your NATAS report and check those items on site during construction if you are able to do that um, because that can make a big difference to the actual performance of the house. There are also some other things that can make difference to the performance of the house that are also not mandatory, which is to do with how the insulation is installed, ensuring there's no gaps, etc., um, and also the airtightness of the building. Mm. So that's um, one area where there is a, the main difference between a passive house building and a standard construction is that um, if you want to say, yes, this is a passive house, you have to do a borer door test to confirm the airtightness. And that is also something that is not required in the star rating system, even though it does make a huge difference to the performance. And there is an optional requirement in the NCC for airtightness. So you can actually put into a building contract requiring airtightness to be achieved that is in compliance with the NCC. And then you'd need to get a blower door test done to prove that. Um, so, and the the good thing about it is to achieve the airtightness in the NCC, you're using standard materials that you wrap houses with anyway. Um, and these are those vapour permeable materials, which are also mm -hmm. the best materials to use to prevent condensation issues, which have been in the news recently again. And if you use materials that aren't vapour permeable, such as the foil back materials, there are cases of houses of the wood rotting within seven, three to seven years after construction. So airtightness is another aspect that homeowners can option into their house and it can be achieved using standard wrap material. It just has to be actually taped together and taped to windows and taped to the slab or glued to yeah. the slab. So it's just a difference in construction methodology rather than materials. So obviously there's an additional cost in labour, but the material cost is almost identical. We, we've spoken about the NATO's um, software and, and the assessment that's carried out for, for all homes and the requirements of six stars, but there is, there is something else that can be done with Passive House, um, and that is a, a Passive House Planning Package Assessment. Um, can I get you to just sort of maybe, yeah, um, talk about your experience with PHPP as it's uh, well known in industry with uh, yeah. all the nerds listening um, <laughs> and the and yeah um, how I suppose what, what that what's involved in that assessment as, a, as, a, as opposed to the NATO's thermal assessment. Yep so the passive house planning package or the P PHPP uh, is similar in that you enter walls and windows but unlike natters where you have to enter all your internal walls and all your room types, etc., passive house requires you only to in, um, enter the external walls. And that is because everything inside is considered to be airtight and therefore it becomes one air volume, one envelope. And because a passive house is mandatory to have um, vent mechanical ventilation, you the system knows that you can actually share the heat around the space. Mm, so okay. you only have to enter, so a typical house that is a rectangle, so we're looking at a house on, in a housing estate, they're mm -hmm. typically rectangular, so all I would need to, if it was a single-storey house, I could enter four walls 
that's all I have to put into the PHPP. And again, I put the construction. But it, and rather than having to select a specific wall that has assumptions built into it, in the PHPP, you enter the wall exactly as it is intended to be built. So it gives you a lot greater flexibility and it's much easier to take into account things such as with a concrete slab, you can't put insulation underneath the edge beams or internal beams and you can easily take that into account in the PHPP. It's a really simple percentage calculation and it takes that all in. In NatHERS, there's nothing in the software to do that. We actually mm. do a completely separate calculation and then adjust the inbuilt you set up already set up system of the slabs to compensate for that so it actually is more complicated in that hers to match what you're actually constructing than in phpp you can actually put in exactly in the lines and it's very easy it just follows the standard wall build up so you get the architect's drawing and it's got the wall build up and you just enter those items in there and yeah. so it's also really easy it's even easier to change the thermal characteristics of the wall or floor or ceiling to quickly see what you need to do to achieve passive house. And I think that's also one of the downfalls with Natters. If I want to change all the windows from a typical aluminium double glaze to a typical UPVC, I have to go into a tab where I have to select all the walls, then I have to select all the windows, then I have to... It's, it's this really complicated process. So every time I mm. want to try a different window, I have to do that. Whereas in the PHPP... I can, there's actually a separate tab where I can actually set up all the different window types and then I can just review each different type of model and see how the performance changes. So I'm not clicking here and clicking there and saving 100 files. I've got it all in one file. Yeah. So it's really easy to see how the performance of the building changes. So there's less that I need to input in the first place and it's easier for me to see what I need to change. Plus, it shows me for every single window, the PHPP shows me what the solar gain is over the year for that window. So it shows whether it's a positive overall contribution or it's negative. So yeah. I can say to a client, well, this window here is actually, you're losing, you're not actually gaining any heat over the year. So mm -hmm. either make this window smaller or delete it. And that is to me the most powerful aspect of PHPP because windows are so expensive. And yet they're so important in the thermal performance of the building. So you really want to optimise your build, your windows, where you have them, what size they are. And PHPP enables me to do that. And the other thing that's happened more recently is there's now a design PH, which is a tool that works with a CAD a 3D modelling tool called um, SketchUp, which mm -hmm. a lot of architects already use. So architects can send us, us their SketchUp model and we do have to redraw it, but it's very, very quick. It's like a rectangle, you draw a rectangle. And yeah. I'm someone who has not come from a background of any using any type of 3D modelling tools and I've managed to pick it up really quickly. Yeah. Like with though the help, I have to say, of my colleague Paul Gray, he picked it up even faster and the same thing came, doesn't come from a background of using 3D modeling tools. And so it's a, SketchUp is a really easy tool for non-3D modelers to learn how to use. Very easy to model passive houses in that. Um, and then it exports it into the PHPP for you. So you, know, you, you draw the rectangle, you stick the windows in 
to the walls and then you press send and it, it fills out most of that PHPP for you. There are mm. some stuff you have to do, some bits that you still have to do manually, but the majority of it you can actually do in this 3D modeling tool. You can select wall types that are already in the system as well, window types, etc. So also what that means is if you've got this 3D tool and somebody says, oh, well, actually I want to change the size of the house, which often happens in matters. We've done this big model. We've told them exactly what they need to do to get to six stars. And then that's during the design phase or either concept phase or during the detailed design. Then they get to their construction level drawing and it's completely different. Sorry, Amelia, yeah. I might just ask you to just outline the stages that you would like. <clears throat> so... I suppose traditionally in industry we would see that that assessment for a, a matters assessment would be done right at the end. It's kind of like a tick mm -hmm. box. But for you, yes. you would recommend that that takes um, that begins at the design phase. I would recommend it at con concept yep. because the concept is the where the orientation is usually determined and the initial layout of the rooms, and adjusting that will have a huge influence on the in star rating. So our uh, when we work with clients, we always do the first assessment at concept stage because, you know, you can say to the client, well, to get six stars because of your orientation, you're going to need triple glazed windows. Mm. You know, what's, what are people going to do? They're going to look back at the design and say, well, how can we change the design? So rather than get to we're at construction, we've already gone out to tender, this is what we're assuming to use and actually what you're assuming to use is not you're not going to comply. So yeah. that's – and then that will delay the build. So in order to not delay the build, which nobody wants, you're best off to look at the energy performance of the house at the concept stage. Yeah, so PHPP to me sounds like really design-friendly. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Not so much from what I'm <laughs> listening to. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like it's more important to have a NATO's assessment done at concept than it would be maybe um, than, you know, well, Obviously, PHPP is obviously very important as well at concept, but, um, you know, it, it yes, seems like yes. it is a bit more design-friendly um, or user in, the interface, uh, user interface for PHPP might be a bit more friendly to um, yeah. incorporate some revisions or changes than, say, NATOs. So, Correct. Um, and what I do have to say that I did listen recently. There are some new NATOs tools available that we haven't tried, which might... Um, make it easier than the particular tool we use. So there's a few different – so the Natter's actual software that you put the input in, there's a few that are licensed. So mm -hmm. we use a particular one and there's some new ones that have just come onto the market and from what I've heard, they've been more designed to make it easier to do these all these changes to optimise the design. So I do have to put that caveat in that this is me comparing to the particular tool that we use, but I'll, I know a lot of assessors use this same tool. Yeah. So – um, yes. However, saying that, I would still do a passive house design assessment at concept as well because, yes, the orientation to an extent in passive house is important but to a lesser extent. And that is the benefit, one of the real benefits of passive house is that the solar gain is shared within the building envelope. And what I mean by that is that if you have a south-facing bedroom and a north-facing living area, then the, the warmth that um, is in the living area will be transferred to the bedroom via the ventilation system. So
so you're sharing that heat gain. So the same thing if you have to have the living room facing south for whatever reason because there's a view to the south or a view to the east or the view to the west, wherever the view is, you can then, if you have to have the bedrooms facing north, then you can take the solar gain from those north-facing rooms, whatever they are, even if they're, you know, any living space or even if they're a bathroom, actually, because the ventilation system moves all the air around. So you're not having one really hot room and one really cold room or one room that you have to heat and one room that you have to cool because you're spreading that heat around or you're spreading the cool around in summer as well. So you're ending up with a house that is at a constant temperature, the same temperature in each room. And, you know, that that's remarkable, really. You know, from my experience of all the houses I've lived in in Australia, you know, that, that I just I can't even imagine it, you know. Um, so that's the main difference too in the way the tools assess the energy usage as well because the PHPP assumes that all that heat is shared so you're getting an assessment for the overall house. You don't get a room by room heating cooling load for passive house. You you get the overall building. And you get the whole home because you also have to put in what type of heating and cooling has been used, what type of hot water has been used, and if you want to get certified, you also need to put in all your other major appliances such as fridges and ovens and stoves. Yeah, is there anything further that PHP um, assesses or takes into consideration? Um, photovoltaics or? Uh, yes, 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 so it does. Um, again, that's one of the proposed changes for NATERS is to take into account um, solar PV. Um, so PHPP, yes, has a particular tab for that as well um, and you can put in whatever system. So you actually have to put the specific system in, which is makes a difference too. So... Um, as part of, as well as energy efficiency work, I've also done work in renewable energy and doing costing and assessment of PV systems and um, for clients who are looking at, at um, putting a PV system in. And one of the really interesting things is that different suppliers have different performance. So looking at the actual PHPP requires you to put in, if you want to be certified, the exact solar system that you are actually going to put into the house not just a general oh it's a five kilowatt system or it's a 10 kilowatt system or whatever you actually have to put the specifics in you can just put to start with this is the other really good thing with phpp when you do the concept design you don't need all that information so at the concept design you put in generic heating and cooling information generic hot water so you put in and it's the same for pv you can just put in the generic pv that. So it's got a lot of data in this Excel sheet. It's amazing um, that you don't need to know everything up front. There's all these window types already in there. There's also there's a whole lot of drop-down menus you can select things from. So at the concept stage, you don't need to know exactly what's been built. You, it's very much like NatHERS. You're just selecting, selecting what's already there. But when you get to the construction stage, you put in exactly what's going to be there. So then the client knows exactly, that's what's exactly is going to be in there and the builder knows exactly what's going to be in there. Um, and that's one of my other issues with NATHERS actually is that I can't put in specifically what window is actually going to be put in because I can only put windows in that have a WERS rating and a lot of windows don't bother having a WERS rating and the WERS rating is a specific combination of frame and glazing. Now there's 
hundreds of different glazing types there and there's thousands of different combinations. So I can have the same fixed window with, I don't know, like 50 different types of glazing in there. So in NatHERS, you'd have to have every single one of those 50 combinations have a words rating done on them to have them in this system. And then that only gets updated at certain intervals. So the data is like a year old of what the windows are there. And window technology is moving so fast. And that's the fantastic thing with PHPP. You can put in any different frame with any different glazing and it works it out. And you can move those changes around. So you can say, well, you know, this, and, and that's actually what happens in reality because when we get the quotes from the window suppliers, depending on the size of the window, there might be a particular type of glazing that's required or the size of the frame may change. It might change from 68 to an 88. So I can change those easily and I can so I can put in exact. It's so much more specific and mm-hmm. so much more detailed. The, the climate data as well. So I imagine yeah. that um, PHPP has some very specific climate data, whereas there's probably a lot of assumptions. And I know that for anyone who has experience with a NATHERS assessment, uh, particularly in our area, they, there's a bit of frustration that our climate here uh, is assessed, uh, say, with Ballarat, um, which we mm-hmm. know in living or experiencing both of those places that that's not the case. Yes, there is a difference in the climate files that are used between passive house assessments and the NATHERS assessments. And yes, I can't understand some of the NATHERS assessment climate zones either. Like I did a project that was inland Victoria and the climate file was Warrnambool. And I cannot understand how you can use a coastal climate file for an inland site. And yes, and using something that is completely different altitude as well and there is no adjustment for that as well so whereas in phpp there is a limitation on how far the location can be from the climate file and there is also an adjustment tool for altitude and that makes a significant difference to the results so we've when we have a site that is equidistance between two climate zones for passive house we'll actually assess it using both those climate files and we'll take the worst case scenario and that's what we'll take to the client so um and also the phpp's got a new version coming out too version 10 and they're going to have some exciting stuff in that can't give away too much of it but i've been very lucky to be involved in the beta testing of that and there's some exciting stuff coming up from um climate variation to to look at worst case modeling with um changes into our climate due to climate climate change there's lots of recent uses of the word climate and change yes to model um you know uh, limits on the house if the climate changes as it's predicted sneak peek peek. i love it um yeah you're saying saying we might be able to forecast a little bit with heard it here first (laughs) very very exciting i'm very excited about because it's actually something that some of our clients have asked us about and that they're concerned about is particularly the overheating um you know is how are these passive houses going to deal you know everyone's like oh passive houses from a cold climate it's not suitable to australia what do you do with the overheating and so the overheating is something that we pay specific attention to in australia we do as sorry detail green do because it's something that we see as a future concern um and even if a house says it doesn't need Mm -hmm. any active cooling 
we will always tell the clients to install air conditioning for future, mm. yeah, to future proof yep. the house. Yeah. We are, I had a client this morning actually that I was just responding to when it asked the exact question, like, is there anything we can do to be able to, um, you know, forecast, um, you know, with climate change in mind? So good to hear, for sure. Yeah, very exciting. And there are some exciting changes happening with NatHERS as well. Yeah. And so, I, you know, the guys have, on that have been working behind the scenes for a long time. So I, I'm hopefully, you know, but that and they're both those new upgrades are supposed to happen by the end of this year. So it's a very exciting year. So exciting yeah. year from from those two, from both yeah. those perspectives. So I think, yeah. you know, I think it's the right time to move to seven stars. We've already got over 10% of houses being built currently at seven stars. So it's, you know, shifting the rest up to that level and most importantly shifting the people who are most need the high-performance houses up to that level yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think maybe we might be coming across a bit critical of Nathur's software, but there's a no, good reason for yeah. that because to me I see that as it's still in its infancy, um, very, you know, has got a lot of potential, but PHPP has been around for a lot longer. Is that right? Yes, correct. So the PHPP and Passive House have been around for over 30 years now and um, Nathur's it's only over 10 years that we've we've had this so it's, yeah, definitely in its infancy. Um, and the good thing is, is, is that it's got passive house to learn from and adapt, you know, yeah. and take some, and, you know, and the air tightness is one of the ones that they are looking at having that yeah. ability to put in there as well so that we can see how the performance of the building changes as the air tightness changes. So they're definitely being influenced by passive house in a good way and right. you know and also by changes in technology you know it is easier to achieve a seven star house now than it was 12 years ago there was you know there wasn't the same windows you know i really struggled that's when i first was and i was doing my renovations and to find double glaze manufacturers in australia there was only people who did timber and it was very expensive all the uvpc products were all imported from Germany too, so they weren't even made in lower cost countries. You know, it's a completely different world now. There's so many local manufacturers of high mm. quality performance windows that's really shifted that market. So the ability to achieve seven stars, yeah, is it's here. It's here now. Yeah. I'm excited about the air tightness factor, to be honest, because yeah. um, just maybe we'll just give a comparison. So what does NatHERS assume for air tightness? I, I think I think it's ten air changes at, at fifty pascal. Ten air changes is only the optional requirement in NCC, so I can't see how that even assume it. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> around thirty. So the standard house is around thirty. Wow. So okay. yes. I say wow because I'm about to ask you what is a certified passive house expected to achieve? Point six. Point six versus thirty. Um, how yep. many times does that go in there? <laughs> Someone can do the math, but yeah. That just shows you just how little air leakage is occurring and how much heat and cool is being contained. That's right. But it's also really interesting to see how relatively easy it is to improve air tightness and um, retrofitting windows is actually the best way to do it. And I've seen that from experience. So I, I have an air monitoring system in my house, of course, and um, the CO2 PPM levels since I've replace my windows with double glazing they are so much higher now i actually have to open a window to ensure that i'm getting enough 
fresh air. Whereas before I could have every single window in my house shut and the PPM levels were the same as the outside air. So I had so much air leakage that my my house was being ventilated 24-7. You know, this is a 1970s brick veneer. So pretty standard build. Yeah, yeah. and all that heat going out with it. Mm-hmm. All that heat going out, all that heat coming in in summer. All the energy required to provide that heat. Um, exactly, exactly. So that's right. And it got to the point, you know, where uh, it's a it's a three-bedroom place and our gas bills were $200 a month and we couldn't afford that. That was yeah. just crazy. And um, Oh, God. So, you know, and that was now five years ago. So I... I can't imagine, you know, it was actually cheaper for us to get rid of the gas heating and put reverse cycle in. Yep. And that's, you know, we're, we're now $100 and mm. that's through, yeah, summer and winter. Yeah. But, yeah, so air tightness, is, air, air tightness is not too hard to achieve, particularly in a new build. You know, we're not talking about getting down to one, but getting down to 10, yes, you, you can definitely do that in a new build using existing standard construction materials, just slightly modified methodology. Yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, Passive House, the, the name itself is probably a bit misleading because it doesn't just mean we deal with houses. Um, it's yes. what are some of the other buildings that you personally believe would benefit from implementing Passive House and a certification process? Definitely all education facilities and childcare facilities and hospitals and offices, basically every single building that has lots of people mm. in it. Because what we've seen over the past two years is that, you know, viruses, airborne viruses are very difficult to control. The measures we've had to put in place have had a huge detrimental effect on people's mental health and our economy. Um, so building buildings that are healthy means that we can keep functioning as a society the way that humans love to function in social groups and our economy can keep moving and we're reducing all our health costs as well because if you're not having people getting sick at work because they're catching something from the person in the office three floors down, who's sharing the same air that's been recirculated 50 times around, you know, with no fresh air. And the same with children getting sick in childcare and then mm. passing it or schools, passing it on to people, passing it on to teachers, just ensuring you've got natural ventilation reduces the spread of, of colds and also yeah. and any other, any other airborne viruses. Plus, yeah. if you're ensuring sufficient oxygen then you're actually getting better performance out of people so people are happier and their productivity which is a word that governments love to, mm. to use is improved so i you know that that's uh why i think that passive house should be well passive house principles yeah should be applied to all new builds in australia um so yeah, just to, to wrap it up and ask you the one question that um, we ask everyone on this uh, on this podcast, all of our guests. Um, if you had one free wish, um, what would be the number one thing that you would change um, in the building code? Oh, there's so many things. But I think, so, you know, 
some of them have been addressed, obviously, with the upcoming seven stars. Um, and there is already some air tightness requirement in the NCC. I, I think um, the mandatory disclosure to me is the most important thing because I think every homeowner should be given a copy of their NATHERS rating. There's efforts gone into that rating and it is a really useful tool. It does tell you, you know, where, and so it is a useful design tool in regards that it can tell you if you've got a room that's going to have overheating or require lots of heating. So I, I would like every homeowner to have a copy of their NATHERS rating. Um, and I, I'm really happy that it's going to move to a whole of house as well because I think homeowners understanding that their choice of heating and cooling systems and their choice of hot water systems are also going to have a large impact on their energy bills. Yeah, I, I feel like we might need to have a, another chat um, after the whole of house is uh, in, in effect and you've had some time to do a few projects and get your feedback Absolutely, absolutely. And by then, hopefully, I'll be a Passive House certifier as well. So then <laughs> we can chat about that as well. So, oh, yes, absolutely. definitely. Yes. yes. So exciting, exciting times to be living in, really. Yeah, yeah, this is a massive year for you. This is great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to chat to you guys. Well, thanks for sharing your knowledge, your experience and, um, yeah, explaining these two systems and thanks for the work you're doing. Um, I think, yeah, that can't be said enough, uh, really doing a big, 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 big part of um, making sure that people have better and healthier homes and we have less polluting houses, actually, and, uh, yeah, more energy-efficient homes to live in. Uh, yes. So thank you very much for your time and... Yeah, we'll chat to you um, once you're a certifier. Yes, um, sounds good. And then that's a whole new, whole new thing that we can chat about. And maybe who knows? Some of your wishes have come true by then, um, and we have some better regulation. Thank you, Amelia. Yeah, I really appreciate your time and um, your expertise as well. And till next time, I guess. Yeah. Thanks again for Amelia for this incredibly insightful conversation. You can find all the links we mentioned, as well as some information on how to get in contact with Emilia on our website, outlierstudio.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and until next time.